Hello there and welcome to the next in our series of Life with Jesus. And today our subject is encouragement for all. Now, you might find it hard to believe, but uh, a good few years ago, I did the Great North Run, which is a half marathon, and I did it in three different years. And one of the great things about it was the crowd. The crowd lined pretty much the whole of the route and they cheered. And whether you were an elite runner or whether you were the charity guy in the crazy chicken suit or just a Joe Bloggs runner like me trying to get around, they cheered you on, whether they knew you or not. Now that's what I call encouragement. And we all need encouragement, especially at these times. So today, uh, as we continue our series, we're looking at the uh, letter that the Apostle John wrote to the church. And I believe John has encouragement for me and for you, for us all. Whether you're just looking in for the first time, you're just exploring the Christian faith, whether you're a new Christian uh, or whether you're a mature Christian, we have encouragement from God for us all. So we're going to read uh, as we go on the verses in 1 John chapter 2, verses 12 to 14. And in it, John talks to three different groups of people. He talks to dear children or little children. He talks to young men and he talks to fathers. Now I hear you say, if you said it was encouragement for all, he's just missed half of the world's population, the women. Good spot. And I get it. What I would say to you is don't trip over that. This is John writing as people would have written in those days. And actually, he is referring to men and women. If you look at uh, Jesus's life as recorded in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, we can see his attitude to women was revolutionary. We read about the early church where women played key roles. So hang in there with me. Don't trip over that. And let's think about who John is really talking to and what he is really saying. Now, not all scholars agree in exactly how to interpret these groups of people, but what they do agree about is that John is writing not to Christians of different ages in the church, but to Christians at different stages in the church, at different stages in their Christian life and walk. So dear children or the little children represents those who have recently come to faith, who've only recently put their trust in Jesus. The young men refers to people who are moving forward in their Christian life, who are uh, becoming real disciples, followers of Jesus. And fathers refers to mature Christians, those who have been walking with God for a long time. Now, if you're someone who's exploring faith here this morning, maybe you don't fit any of those categories. But hold on a moment, because I do think John has got encouragement for you today. Because what John explains is a Christian life plan. It's uh, how the Christian life works out at different stages. It's almost like he's giving us an overview of the Christian life. And I don't know how your life plan is working out. Uh, often our lives don't work out as we think they will. And certainly, I'm sure there are many whose life plans are on hold in this pandemic or sadly even wrecked. But John gives us a life plan, the Christian life plan, that is not disrupted by COVID-19, that is not disrupted by our personal circumstances or other world events. It's not a plan for an easy life, but it's a plan for a fruitful life. Jesus called it 
an abundant life, life in all its fullness, life to the max, real and eternal life, more and better life than you've ever dreamed of. Now that's quite an offer, and it's an offer that's available to all who will respond to Jesus's invitation to give up on our own ways and to follow him. So I'd say to you, hear me out about what the Christian life is before you decide. So as we try and get to grips with these verses, it's written sort of poetically and rhythmically and it repeats, but I'm going to mess the poetry up and reorder it so that we can bring together the things that John says to the different groups in one place. So to our first group, the dear children or the little children, John says this, I'm writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I write to you, dear children, because you know the Father. The starting point for the Christian walk is forgiveness. Now, I think if we're honest, we'd all admit that none of us is perfect. You may be better than some people, you may be better than a lot of people, but none of us is perfect. The Bible agrees with us. It says that we have all fallen short of what God made us to be, and that God uh, hates what that does to us and what it does to those around us. It's these things that we say and think and do, or that we don't say or think or do, that put up a barrier between us and a perfect God. And Jesus is the only one who can declare forgiveness. It shocked people when he did it as he walked the earth. It's recorded in the Gospels. And perhaps most famously, as Jesus is being nailed onto the cross, he forgives those who are doing it. He says, forgive them, Father. They don't know what they're doing. And through what he did on the cross, through his death and his resurrection, Jesus paid the price for all that we have done or failed to do or ever will. And he is able to declare us forgiven. So John writes to these little children, these dear children, these new believers, those who've just put their trust in Jesus. And he says, you will discover, you have found out that your sins are forgiven on account of his name. Our bill is paid on Jesus's account through the person and the acts of Jesus. The Bible describes it in, in really quite dramatic terms. It talks about our sins being blotted out. It talks about uh, our sins being uh, washed away, it, like chalk being rubbed off a blackboard, like stains or, or, or muck coming out of a garment that's been washed. Forgiveness is real and it's amazing. Christians, we're not supposed to be as miserable as sin. We're forgiveness focused. We're not sin-focused. Yes, we are realistic about who we are, but we also know the wonderful thing that God has done for us in Jesus. That's why the message of Jesus is, is called good news, because it is good news. I love the way that David uh, wrote in the Psalms, in Psalm 103. He said this, years before Jesus came, he said that about God, he has not dealt with us as our sins deserve or repaid us according to our iniquities. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. I love that. He doesn't treat me as my sins deserve. You know, 
It's many years since I first heard that, but it still impacts me now. I'm so grateful God doesn't treat me as my sins deserve. And it's still challenging me about how I treat others. If that's how God treats me, then surely that's how I should treat others. And it's not just forgiveness, because in achieving forgiveness for us, Jesus also opened up a way for us to reconnect with our Heavenly Father, God the Father. And that's the second thing that John mentions about these new Christians. You know the Father. And let me tell you today, whoever you are, God the Father is longing to connect with you. That's his heart. He wants you to meet him. He wants you to be able to look him in the eye. Someone I know personally was adopted at a, at a very early age. He'd never met his father and mother. And now he's in his 50s and he's trying to find his parents. He's trying to reconnect with them. And I can't begin to imagine the emotions that uh, he must be going through in that search. Uh, but I do admire his courage. I do admire and I recognize that, that the, the need that he has to do that. And he is taking a risk. He doesn't know what his father and mother are like. He doesn't know what sort of response he can expect. Will he be welcomed or will he be rejected? Well, Jesus opens up the way for us to meet our real Father, our Heavenly Father. But maybe that's a scary thought for you. Maybe, like my friend, you wonder what he's like. Maybe you wonder what sort of reception you're going to get. Well, let me tell you, from my own experience and the experience of millions, billions of other Christians through time and around the world, if you put your trust in Jesus and what he's done, you will find a father who is loving, who is caring, who is true, who is righteous, who is for you, who is so, so much more than I have time to tell you about this morning. You see, peace with God and being able to look God in the eye is truly available. If that's something you want to find out more about, I'd encourage you to connect with us on our Fire Pit series with Steve Lee. You can either watch online or, or come along and we'll, uh, we'll tell you how you can do that a little later on this morning. But we're not supposed to just stay happy with forgiveness and for, with being reconnected with our Heavenly Father any more than we're supposed to stay little children in a human sense. We need to take what we learn in childhood and build on it into our adult life. And so the next group that John talks to are the young men, the people representing those who are moving forward in their Christian faith and life and discipleships. And to them, he says, I'm writing to you young men because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you young men because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. Once we start to apply our newfound faith to our everyday life, we will find that we are in the challenges of the Christian life. In fact, coming into God's family moves us right into the middle of a war zone. It's a spiritual battle that is going on for eternal stakes right here and right now on planet Earth. We have a supernatural God and we have a supernatural enemy. 
John and Jesus before him calls the enemy the evil one. And I don't think it's too hard to understand that. We look around our world, we see beauty, we see wonderful things, things of God's creation. And at the same time, we look at the, the bad things and the evil of, of our creation. So in our Christian growing up, we will face battles, make no mistake. Battles externally with life and the things that happen and how we respond, and battles internally as we fight against sin. And as we wrestle and seek to grow up into Jesus, allowing God to change us from the inside out. Tim Blaber talked about that battle brilliantly recently. And uh, you can catch up with that and all our other recent talks at our Hope Online YouTube channel. But the encouragement for us here today is that God makes us strong and helps us overcome the evil one. How? Well, he makes us strong, John says, by the word of God living in us. What's the word of God? Well, the word of God is what God has said to us and wants us to know. And our only and reliable source for that is the Bible. But notice, it needs to be living in you to make you strong. The key is living in you. Christianity is not just head knowledge, not up here. It's a heart knowledge. So it's, it's really not about just learning chunks of the Bible off by heart. Though that's a great thing to do if you've got that sort of brain. But the Bible itself tells us that the devil quotes scripture and it doesn't do him any good. We mustn't be tempted to think that the Bible is like some Harry Potter spell book that we get out whenever we're in a spot and we leaf through and can we find the right verse or spell and if we do that we'll be okay. It has to be living in us. In another place the Bible calls it mixed with faith. It's not just a book, it's something alive. So how do we get the Word of God into us? Well, it's not rocket science, you'll be pleased to know. But it is intentional, it does require effort and time. And it does mean we need to ask God the Holy Spirit to help us. Let me try and explain. You won't be surprised to know that I like food. I also need food. I probably eat more than I need because I like it. But having food doesn't happen by accident, does it? Firstly, we need to, we need to gather it, whether it's from your garden or from the, the shops or whatever. We need to prepare it. Even when it's prepared, we need to cut it up and chew it. And then we need to swallow it. And all of that has to be done before it actually becomes a part of who we are to make us who we are or to sustain who we are. Sometimes it'll be a big set meal, a banquet. Sometimes it can be something very simple. Sometimes it's food on the go or a snack, but it all counts, just like the calories. Jesus said this, it takes more than bread to stay alive. It takes a steady stream of words from God's mouth. Let me read that again. It takes more than bread to stay alive. It takes a steady stream of words from God's mouth. You know, we're so blessed today. We have so many ways we can listen to and take in the things that God wants us to know. We can still read the Bible as a book, but now we can read it on our phone, our iPads, our, our computers. We can listen to audio versions of it. We can watch preaching, listen to podcasts. We can immerse ourselves in worship songs whenever and wherever we are. 
we have God's word available to us in more ways than ever before. And we often think we don't have time for this, don't we? But I'd encourage you, if like me you think that sometimes, check out your average weekly screen time. Check out what you're listening to in the car. Most of us, I think, watch more TV than we think we do. I bet you know what's going on in the news. I bet you know what's going on in your friends' lives. I bet you know what the words of the latest songs are. And how do they get there? Well, they get there because we're surrounded by all these things coming in to our hearts and our minds, what we listen to, what we watch, constantly surrounding us. And the things we're constantly surrounded with us, news and views, don't always reflect God's heart. The songs that are constantly bombarding us don't always reflect the truth of God's word and what he says about our lives. So we need to be discriminating. We need to be connected to what's going on in the world, but we need to be taking on God's viewpoint, not the world's viewpoint. And John wants to encourage you today through the word of God that is living in you. So maybe take a look at your diet of words and make sure you've got some good God stuff going into you that we take responsibility for what's going in and what happens when it's in there. Thirdly and finally, John writes to fathers. I'm writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. No, that wasn't a glitch in the video. John says the same thing twice. He thinks it's so important that he repeats himself. John's description of a mature Christian centers on one thing and one thing only, knowing him. Knowing him. It's his definition. It's his test of maturity. It's the goal of the mature Christian life. John is talking to men and women of deep and long spiritual standing. They've, they've got the kind of walk with God that you can't get quickly. It doesn't come overnight. They are uh, like, as the Bible describes them, great oak trees uh, in God. And they've grown big and strong over the years. And I notice that John refers to God this time, not as the father, which is where we started. You know the father. But he refers to the one who was from the beginning. Who is this? Well, at the very beginning of this letter, if you look back to it, John says this, we proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our eyes, we touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. Of course, he's referring to Jesus, God the Son, Jesus. One commentator puts it like this, when John spoke of the increasing knowledge of God, he did not mean that the Christian would become an ever more learned theologian. He meant that through the years, he would become more and more intimately friendly with God. Now, we need theologians. I thank God for them. But being a Christian is not knowing about God. It's about knowing God. And this is what John is commending and he's encouraging, pursuing, knowing God. It's almost as if he's saying, you know God, but keep pursuing him. Now, of course, being a mature believer doesn't mean we understand God fully. 
we can be, and I certainly still am, often mystified by what God does and how he works. And I still wrestle with some of the things that happen or don't happen. But the mature Christian trusts God more because they have trusted and tested his character. Life's events inevitably test our faith. They help to turn it from a theoretical faith to a practical, everyday faith, something that is tried and tested. And a greater understanding of God and his character is more often than not born out of walking through tough situations and finding that God is there and finding that he is your helper. It leads us to trust him more. It's a bit like if you can imagine having a lifelong friend that you've known forever and you know all about him and you know what he's like and whatever. And then suddenly one day there's this bizarre accusation. Maybe someone says he's actually a spy. And you think, that's crazy. I know this guy. That's not who he is. He wouldn't do that. That doesn't fit his character at all. And you know, it's the same with God, really. The more we get to know his character, that he doesn't change, that there's no darkness in him, the more we see our circumstances in that light. And where we see circumstances that are tough, we can say, well, this is tough, but I know that God is good. And where I can't see and where I don't understand, I can trust. So when life's challenges throw up in us doubts and fears, don't be discouraged. Be encouraged and don't despair because that's when we grow. What we can do in those situations is turn to God and cry out to him. Like a man that Jesus once met and was really resting and he turned to Jesus and he said, I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. How like us that is, this mixture sometimes of faith and unbelief. And he did the right thing. He went to God and said, I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. Go back to God, wrestle your way through, because our faith grows through testing. I have to say, although we don't like it, that the reality is that all of us, in this life will experience some pain and suffering. And I know that conflicts with the views of our culture, which assumes that we have the right not to suffer and encourages us to do everything we can to avoid suffering or minimize pain and difficulty. But that's actually not a Bible worldview. That's a humanist worldview. The reality is that in this broken world, uh, we will experience pain and suffering. And if we try and pretend or try and make it out that we can avoid this, it can lead us into all sorts of difficulties and a stuck place. But if we can accept that reality, we can be encouraged that with God's help, we will grow through our difficulties and challenges to that most important thing of all, knowing him. As someone once said, the better we get to know him in this life, the less surprised we'll be when we meet him face to face. So let me summarize. Be encouraged. God has a plan for your life. It's a Christian life plan that's built on forgiveness and being reconnected to your Heavenly Father that grows through applying God's word in your everyday life and that leads us to a greater and greater knowledge of God the Son, Jesus. I hope that encourages your heart. 
But let's earth that in real life because this is not just a theory. A little earlier, I chatted with Mary Hunt. She's one of the mature oak trees, if you like, in our church family. Let's hear what she has to say. So Mary, you've been a Christian for a good few years, is that right? Yes, 40 years. 40 now. years, yes. okay. And I think it's right that you didn't become a Christian when you were a child. Um, no, I didn't. In fact, I was in my 30s by okay. the time I became a Christian. Okay. So by the time you started to put your faith into action, uh, that your, your life was already fairly well established. Well, that must have been a big change. Yes, it, it was. I had to, well, I didn't have to, but I did almost a complete U-turn mm. and everything was um, quite different. I, um, yes, my thinking, um, what I was doing, I really needed to evaluate everything. And one of the things that I really needed to give space to was time with God because I didn't know him. And so I needed to spend time with him in um, getting to know the Bible mm -hmm. and going to church, uh, praying. And um, yes, yeah, so that was very important to me because obviously you don't get to know a person t unless you spend time with them. So <laughs> I was, um, yes, yeah, spending, I did give quite a lot of time to spending t the time with God. Yeah, that's great. And I think it was during that season of your life that uh, you had a, a bit of a scary episode with your late husband, Richard. Is that right? Yes. At one point, um, a little while after, a couple of years after becoming a Christian, um, our children were children then. And uh, Richard became, he'd always had really serious health problems. He almost, he'd almost lost his life as a 15 year old. Yeah. And um, at one point he became quite ill and he thought that the symptoms were similar to the ones he'd had as a 15 year old, which made him seriously, seriously Scary. ill. Yeah. And for the first time ever, I saw him frightened mm. and that frightened me, that <laughs> upset me. I'm not surprised. I found that difficult. Um, so I, I um, prayed about it, went out for a walk, prayed about it and um, just talked to God about it. And I just said to God, I just, how will I cope? I can't cope without him. I can't imagine life without him, particularly with two young children at that stage. And um, and God immediately responded to me, which I, which in one way was really, really good. I think I would have liked to have said, you know, he's, he's going to get better, which actually he did. Um, but God said to me, I will be your husband. Wow. And that was, I was quite amazed at that. But it did, it did give me some sense of, re of um, relief because God had spoken directly into the situation. Mm. And what a wonderful thing for God to give you that promise that yes. he would be a husband. Yeah. Now, as you mentioned, in actual fact, Richard did recover, yeah. didn't he? Uh, and, uh, and you had a, a longer life together. Yes. But when you sadly lost him, I think some 15 years ago, is it? Uh, yes, 15. What, what happened about that promise then? Um, obviously it was totally devastating when he did die and um, every day was just very very difficult and but I, I coped with it I had good friends and family but also I just kept going to church I kept reading the Bible I was saying prayers but a lot of things were just going over my head but I did 
keep on doing mm. what I'd done for years. So you kept the rhythms going. Yes, I did, yeah. even though it, you know, it, it was um, difficult. And at the end of each day, um, particularly in the first few months, I used to say to God, we've made it through another day between us, him and I. And that was good that I could do that. But also, as far as the promise was concerned, I did remind him more than once that he had said that he would be my husband. Mm. And he was just utterly faithful in that role. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. And I think in that time also, you, you found a lot of help reading the Psalms. Is that yes, right? Yes, I did. Yes, a couple of years later, two or three years later, I had a bit of a blip with one or two other situations and I took time out and I seriously studied these psalms. I just went through very, very slowly with a notebook and pen and that, um, it took quite a while, I spent quite a while, quite a few months doing it, but it was, it was enormously helpful to me. I think it helped to restore and refresh me and renew me. That was, was yes, that was really, really good. Amazing. That's amazing. So over all these years and all these ups and downs of life, would you say that you've got to know God better? Yes, I have. I've, <laughs> I've learned a lot over the years, but I've still got some way to go. <laughs> Every day is a new day and a new challenge. And because God doesn't give up on us, he, mm. we don't get old in his eyes. That's brilliant. Mary, thank you so much for sharing. It's been a joy. It's been an inspiration. We really appreciate it. Thanks. What a great example Mary is. And there are plenty more like that in our church family, other oak trees. So if you need some encouragement, why not find another oak tree and uh, sit under them, their shade for a while and just be encouraged in your heart by their experience. If you're not a Christian today, well, today is your opportunity to start God's plan for your life, life to the max. If you are a Christian, I want to encourage you never to lose the wonder, the childhood wonder, as it were, of forgiveness and access to the Father. If you need a top up, I'd encourage you get around some new Christians. It's infectious. And for all of us, I want to encourage us, let's get the word of God into us. However, whenever, that's how we will grow and how we will win. Right now, that's a challenge, isn't it? We have to take up the challenge of where our faith is not as strong as we would like. Take up the challenge to take hold of the truth. When we are feeling lonely, to put our trust in the fact that Jesus said he would never leave us or abandon us. If we're fearful, to listen to Jesus who said don't, be afraid. If we're anxious or concerned about provision, to listen to the Jesus who tells us that God loves us and that he knows our needs before we ask. But we need to get these truths deep, deep into our heart. Let's take on John's encouragement to pursue knowing God experientially, for real, not just a theory. After all, it really is life with Jesus.